Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your coordination and sound. You to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Hi again, Kate here, the General Manager at Well and Good. First up, a warning for listeners that this episode will deal with topics like diet culture and eating disorders. So please tune out now if these conversations are triggering for you. And if you or a loved one is struggling, please see the show notes for more resources. I don't know if it's my age, where I was born or who I hang out with, but across the three different continents that I've lived on, I have maybe two friends who haven't struggled with food, their body image, and how these two tricky concepts intersect. Nearly everyone I know has been victim to the idea that healthy eating, in heavy air quotes, and being a certain size, aka smaller, are signs of good well-being and of being a good person even. The amount of morality that's attached to our diets and our eating habits is unreal. Some foods are good while others are bad. Some foods are labeled clean, which I mean, I guess suggest that others are dirty, whatever that means. And we've been told that the way we eat has a huge impact on not just our physical health, but our mental health, our long-term health outcomes, and even our immunity, which is obviously something so many of us are concerned with at the moment. Layer on top of that, the prevalence and popularity of really restrictive diets like keto, F-factor and paleo. And it's really no wonder that so many people I know, myself very much included, are all messed up about food. And I wonder how did something that's supposed to be enjoyable get so confusing, hard and strained. According to many food and nutrition experts, including Shana Spence, a registered dietitian who you're about to hear from, toxic diet culture is a huge threat to our relationship to our bodies, to the food we consume and our overall well-being. Here's her definition. It's a society, right, that's based on a $72 billion industry. And it 
capitalizes off of insecurities that were given by society, right? It's based on ideals that are unrealistic for most people. And that's how it makes its profit. So when you think about it, we're kind of given through the media, through social media, but even before this, you know, I think we've always had a history of what we should look like. And I think that it gives people solutions, but these solutions don't work. Shana labels herself as an eat anything dietitian and champions concepts like health at every size, anti-dieting and intuitive eating. With 150,000 followers on Instagram, Shana is part of a growing collective of experts who are helping us unlearn many of the harmful and toxic ideas about food that we've been fed by everyone from parents to the media and even our own teachers. I'll never forget one of my first jobs was working in preschools doing nutrition education. And I remember walking into the classroom, this was three and four-year-olds, and the teacher had made a sign of good foods and bad foods. <laughs> and she meant well, she meant well, but that's where it starts, you know? So the kids are already looking at that thinking, oh, so my cookie is bad for me, okay. And then we carry all of that throughout adulthood, you know? So it's, it's so hard to undo. Christy Harrison is another registered dietitian who is working to dismantle diet culture. She got into the field partly because of her own experience with disordered eating. I am a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and certified eating disorders registered dietitian. I came to this work really through my own journey with food and my body, through my own disordered eating and recovery. And I should also say I'm a journalist as well and have been for about 18 years. I had actually made it through childhood and adolescence without really any eating issues and without having major body image issues either. Although, of course, women going through puberty, you know, young woman, it's always, there's always something, right? But I think I didn't really have the kind of body image issues that led me to restrict my food, try to lose weight, you know, over-exercise or do anything really disordered with food. And I was allowed to stay an intuitive eater from birth until adulthood. And I think that was thanks to having thin privilege, which is being in a thin enough body that no one ever told me I had to lose weight. You know, doctors didn't weight shame me. I didn't get teased by peers or told by parents I was too big or anything like that. So that was one sort of protective factor. And another protective factor was economic security and food security and not having to go through periods of not having enough food because I think that's a huge uh, trigger for a lot of people too in terms of disordered eating. So I was really protected from those things and I was allowed to stay an intuitive eater and sort of maintain that default connection with food in my body that we're all born with until the age of 20. Then I went to study abroad in Paris, gained a little bit of weight because I changed birth control pills and suddenly, like, everything I had always heard about dieting and weight loss and food came sort of bubbling to the surface. It was always there. It was just not affecting me personally. But, of course, I was absorbing it from our culture. Christy's experience is so reflective of my own. It was kind of spooky when we were chatting. I was also super sporty and active as a kid, I was really lucky that I came from a family that had a high level of food security and also my parents were super encouraging of a very healthy body image and I always had a great relationship with food. I ate when I was hungry. I kind of ate whatever I 
wanted. And so it was then a big shock to those around me when in my early 20s, I started shrinking and then just kept shrinking. I'd been diagnosed with celiac disease when I was about 21. And so suddenly I had to start reading food labels. So I made sure I wasn't eating this thing that my body was super allergic to. And, you know, I had to cut out a whole food group and it really messed me up. Suddenly having to have this level of control and level of awareness, I was looking at other things like, oh, how many calories are in something or does this have a lot of fat? And I just never thought about that stuff before. And to make matters worse, when I started losing weight, I was told by so many people that I looked great because this is just what we do. We celebrate thin bodies in this society. And so it was a really, really bad cycle and I was in a bad spot and found myself a couple of years later incredibly underweight and and not in a good place. And I think that this experience is pretty common and lots of people I know have been on a spectrum of disordered eating because diet culture is insidious and the way that we are told we should look is really pervasive. I think being an eater on this planet or a person on this planet with a body right now is just such an ask, right? Because everyone and their mother and their sister has an opinion about food. That's Anna Sweeney, who decided to become a dietitian after watching her own sister suffer from an eating disorder. When I first started in the field, we were coming out of... I guess South Beach was like the craze and Atkins came before that, but it was like a low carb thing was the idea. And obviously before then, 80s, 90s, this is about one macronutrient. People are taking fat out of their diet and snack wells rules the day. Fast forward again, no carbs. And now, and over the last several years, this is not about nutrition. This is about perfection. It is so much more complicated because, again, everyone has an opinion. Everyone is an expert. Anyone that has a microphone can sell some idea. And now paleo, keto, these are bizarre concepts of starvation that we would never have asked humans to actually consider. Now, if you're not doing something like that, you are the exception and not the rule. Christy says that the diet that is actually most harmful because it's super insidious and it's a little bit of a wolf dressed up in sheep's clothing is actually what she calls the wellness diet, an eating plan that's been very much health washed. Diet culture had to sort of shape shift in order to continue capturing the market. And that's true especially today. I quote in my book, if diet companies are going to capture the lucrative millennial market, they can't just be your grandmother's diet. But to really get this millennial market and survive into the future, diet companies are going to have to bring in wellness rhetoric. They're going to have to bring in clean eating. They're going to have to like, you know, change the ingredients in their food products. 
And so it's really this calculated move to try to stay afloat and to continue growing and being this, you know, multi-billion dollar industry that it is. You know, Virgie Tovar talks about how the diet industry is gaslighting us by making us believe that it's about health and wellness. And it's actually still really about thinness, still really about vanity, but it's going under this guise of wellness, de-bloating or reducing inflammation and things like that. These are code words for taking up less space, right? Making your stomach flatter so that it doesn't look fat, making your body less puffy, you know, all of that. Like, what is that really? That is a desire to be less large. And I think we need to just call it what it is instead of, you know, this medicalization of concern about looks. Anna, like Christy, warns that the wellness diet is just as restrictive as the rest. I think one of the most important things about the wellness diet right now is that it it is something that evolves. It is kind of a transient thing. So in this moment, this is about clean food. And that definition is obviously not a definition of food. It is about food that is health promoting exclusively. And while it packages itself in these beautiful little Instagrammable packages, it is not so much about real enjoyment. It is not so much about real nutrition. It is about restriction And it is about elevating certain foods and making it so if you are not having those certain foods, you don't, you know, get the pass into like the wellness cool kids club. So the two core threads that these three dietitians repeated over and over and over were don't restrict yourself and don't avoid foods. Eat what you love and not what people are telling you to eat. And according to Shana, this applies to trendy, healthy foods as well. When we're talking about these new foods that are coming out now, right, the superfoods that are on lists like chia seeds, chia seeds are from Mexico. You know, like these aren't new foods. These are just foods that we, like as, you know, the Western world is discovering. Chia seeds have been there. Avocados have been there. I grew up watching my dad eat avocado every day, you know, and now it's this big thing. You know, I think we should just need to be a little bit more mindful. Like the Mediterranean diet is sexy, you know, and if another country, the culture isn't as sexy, it doesn't get this widespread media coverage. All of these diets that tell you to eliminate carbs, you know, rice is such a staple food for many cultures, huge, right? And so they're seeing things in the media about limiting carbs, it's getting their attention. So they're thinking their ethnic foods or their cultural foods are unhealthy. And that's not the case. It's also unnecessary to do these diets because your body needs food, you know, and I think oftentimes we forget that food is providing energy. I know it isn't fun to think of a calorie as the scientific wording, right? So a calorie is a unit of energy. Our body needs energy to function day to day. You don't have to be an athlete to eat. The rest of the population, we all need food. And so to restrict ourselves, especially something like carbs, our body's preferred source of energy is glucose, which comes from carbohydrates. So our body needs this. Our brain alone uses a very high percentage. So that's why people on keto, they often complain about brain fog. There's reasons why diets don't work. I'm all for getting in nourishment, but you don't have to restrict yourself. Our cells can't differentiate food in the way that our like brains have judgment about food, right? We can have all of this judgment. Our cells don't care at, at all. Our cells don't care at all. 
So how do we shift from this mindset of categorizing foods as good and bad and being really restrictive with ourselves when literally everywhere you go, there is some messaging about diet culture? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A concept that constantly came up with the three experts that I spoke to was this idea of intuitive eating. And like I said earlier, I was a really intuitive eater. I didn't think too hard about what I put in my body. And so I would love to get back there, but it feels really daunting because I've got now a tricky relationship with food and I don't really trust my mind or my body to tell me accurately how to eat or what's best for me. So I asked Shana, if I'm more interested in beginning to try and eat more intuitively again, where do I even start? It's kind of a interesting concept just because when you think about it without diet culture, intuitive eating would just be eating. What's so evolutionary to people is just that there are no rules with intuitive eating. And that's what people have a hard time with because again, We're so used to following rules with eating. We're used to being told what time to eat. We're used to being told what to eat, how much to eat. So with intuitive eating, it's like, well, what does your body want? And people are like, what? You know, like, what does that mean? I I always tell people to look at kids, you know, because we're all born with intuitive eating. They eat food and then they stop when they're full. Or when they're really hungry, they start getting super cranky. Adults do, right? That's their body signaling that it needs energy. We were all born with that. But with dieting, with hearing about dieting, our internal system is just thrown off. So intuitive eating, it really is just listening to your body, which again, is going to be hard because we're not used to doing that at first. And oftentimes, I think what's scary is that people are like, well, my body is going to tell me it needs French fries. I'm like, okay, so let's say when you're starting this and you and your body is telling you it wants fries. Okay, fine. So you eat fries for a couple of days. What's going to happen? You're going to get sick of those fries, you know? So no, you're not going to just eat fries. And one client, she said, the more that I allowed myself to eat things like pizza and French fries, the more I was craving things like a salad or things like broccoli because my body needed that balance. And she said that that's what was so mind blowing was that she thought she was just going to eat, you know, all of these quote unquote unhealthy foods. And that's not the case. I am a huge proponent of intuitive eating. That's Anna again. When I think about 
approaching food and eating. I wish for humans to be able to have curious experiences, you know, to be really interested in the personal relationship that we have with food, with our bodies, to be able to trust the intrinsic wisdom that our bodies know what they are doing and they are here to serve us as best they possibly can, not outsourcing body wisdom when it comes to making decisions about self-care. That is a massive dream to just operate from a place of curiosity and eat from a place of preference, not a place of position, not saying I am a person who follows a keto diet or I'm a person who eats paleo, but instead being able to be interested in preference development of what feels good, what tastes good, how does this make me feel as compared to having an identity based on food choice. For many people, intuitive eating isn't some switch that we can just flick. Christy had her own personal experience with this. I don't really think that much about food until I'm hungry and then I eat what sounds good and feels good and, you know, eat until I'm satisfied and I'm really happy and grateful to have food and then kind of move on with my day. Um, and so, you know, I've, I feel so fortunate to be in that position. And I think it, again, comes with a lot of privilege, right, to have been able to get back to that intuitive relationship with food in my body. It took, you know, years of weekly psychotherapy, which is not inexpensive, right? And so having the economic security to be able to afford that, it took being exposed to intuitive eating and this anti-diet approach and having support for that and having, you know, friends and family who supported me. It took not being stigmatized for my weight and told to lose weight or go on a diet. And then there is weight loss. I was really curious to hear from our experts how they work with people and how they help them get on a different path. As much as I know we would love for weight loss to be the ticket to wellness, and as much as diet culture makes that out to be the case, it's actually not true when you look at the research. We see that up to 98% of people who intentionally lose weight end up regaining it all and then some. Oftentimes, the research shows that up to two-thirds of people who lose weight end up regaining more than they lost. And so, you know, weight loss attempts really aren't effective. And not only are they not effective, but that weight cycling that people embark on when they start trying to lose weight is actually a health risk in and of itself. A lot of times people come to me, and, it, and this is very common, where because, of course, the word diet is in dietitians, I get, well, I, I want to be healthy. And, you know, even though I clearly identify as an anti-diet dietitian, they're just like, well, tell me what to eat. Just give me a meal plan. And I always kind of have to break it down to them. So first off, what are your goals? That's Shauna again. That's where I always start off. I always ask people what their goals are. And if those goals include any sort of number, whether it's weight loss, whether it's BMI, for whatever reason, I ask them to rethink those goals and to let's focus on a non-numbered goal. Like maybe you want to have more energy. One woman actually, like her goal was to do this really big hike, right? And so that way I can say, well, then you're going to need to work in more nourishing foods, right? That energize you. And we can definitely work on that. But there's no reason to restrict. Restriction doesn't get us anywhere. 
it just kind of leads us to keep thinking about the food that we're restricting. That's why people always mistake, like they have a sugar addiction or a food addiction. It's like because of the restriction. If we're looking for health promotion, we're looking to add food. I think Christie's book, Anti-Diet, is a book that will change the conversation for a lot of us moving forward. And it has been interesting to see what has seemed like a reduced tolerance for diet culture bullshit. It feels like there is pushback. But then came the pandemic. Since March 2020, the National Eating Disorder Association helpline reports that it experienced a 40% increase in call volume relating to eating disorders and mental health issues compared to the year before. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of fear a lot of concern uh, about the, like, what if I can't get my food? What if, like, my safe food isn't available? And my safe food's alternative safe food is also not available. There were lots of concerns about what happens if I just eat processed food, not acknowledging that, you know, everything that we eat has been processed in one way or another. We were in the middle of a crisis that no one who is alive has ever experienced before, it really speaks to how much diet culture really changes its tune to meet the moment, to meet people where they are the most vulnerable. The industry just came at people for what is a really normal behavior, like utilizing food to cope or to feel better or to like find comfort. And we saw that getting spun as though this is a mark against a person seeking comfort in food. From the very beginning of our lives, that's the point of food. And that's part of the point of food. Here you have people dying, losing their lives, losing their loved ones. And people are still, that's the first thing they're scared of is weight gain. So that's where we have an issue. <laughs> that's when you know we have a little bit of an issue in society. We're hearing from Shauna again. You know, people kind of started to realize, wait a second, maybe, just maybe, um, not everybody, but maybe this isn't the body that I was meant to be or have. You know, if you have to work out three times a day and you're not Serena Williams or whoever, athletes are different, but if you're like a normal person and there's no need for you to work out three times a day, people say, well, I need to burn off steam, but are you doing that? Or are you trying to burn off all your meals? You know, if you have to restrict yourself so much with food, if you have to overcompensate with exercise, to get to or to be a certain weight or to have a certain body, that's not the body you're meant to have. Food and exercise behaviors only account for 10% of population health outcomes. 10%, that's a tiny piece of the pie. And that's Christy again. And only another 20% can be attributable to other health behaviors like, you know, getting enough sleep or things like that. The rest, the other 70% of the pie is due to social determinants of health, factors outside our individual control, but within societal control that are things like, you know, the way that poverty affects people's health outcomes, the way that racism and discrimination affect people's health outcomes. And I would include weight stigma in that too, right? lack of access to care for people in rural areas or low-income communities. All of these things that I think societies have a responsibility to address and that would do a lot more to actually changing population-level health outcomes than focusing on what people eat and how they move their bodies. And yet we're conditioned to think it's all about the food, it's all about the exercise, right? People freaking out about pandemic weight gain, 
And like, of course, it's natural that we would gain weight in a situation like this where we're not moving as much, we're, you know, confined in our homes and we're stressed out beyond belief. So of course our bodies might change in response to that. And let's have compassion for ourselves and let's have some grace around, you know, this is hard and it's okay if your body changes. It's okay if you don't look the same or wear the same clothes when you come out of this pandemic as when you went in. So we're in this place where there is far greater awareness among the general population about diet culture and about why restrictive diets are not the way. And then we have experts like the people we spoke to today who are fighting the good fight and really giving so much good free information across social and other media outlets like Well and Good and helping people re-educate themselves around food. So what are our hopes for the future? I really would love the idea of health at every size to be more prevalent among more health professionals because it, you know, yes, we, the average person hears about these things, but it doesn't help if they're still going to like the doctor's office and being told just to go on a diet, you know, so it's, it's not very helpful. So I'm hoping that more, the more research that's done and the more um, people are open-minded to it the more it will be widespread um, just because whenever you're discriminated against, you know, whether it's race, uh, gender, sex, whatever, you know, you feel that you internalize that. And, you know, those in larger bodies are definitely discriminated against, which isn't helping any health condition they have, you know, so it's, it's just really important for us to get a hold of that concept. And really, I would love to see more diverse bodies like out in the media that would help. I think in order to not be susceptible to diet culture, whether that's through the wellness diet or through any other more overt manifestations, I think we need to really be able to address those deeper needs and those deeper desires in ways that don't involve weight loss, in ways that involve actual acceptance, actual respect, strengthening our relationships, creating a society that is not fat phobic, that is not weight stigmatizing, you know? And so this is a collective endeavor as much as it is an individual endeavor. The process of creating this episode was such a good tune-up for me. I was really reminded that I just need to be a bit easier on myself and that I have it within me to really focus on a balanced relationship with food. I hope you all took something really valuable too. On today's show, you heard from Christy Harrison, Shana Spence, and Anna Sweeney. You can find links to all of their work and their handles in the show notes. Plus, if you had thoughts or feelings, we really want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at wellandgood.com. And finally, please share this, subscribe, send it to everyone you know, write us a review, give us a five-star rating. It all helps. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove, and myself, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeleine Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Ali Short, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolfe.